I'm Arlen Hamilton. I'm an investor, a founder, an author, a professional speaker, and an atheist. I wanted to find out what would happen if I sat down to have open and honest conversations with people from all walks of life and various degrees of faith. Would my preconceived notions be debunked or simply reconfirmed? Maybe a little bit of both? Let's find out on Demystifying Faith. So my name is Mara. I am 32 years old and I live in St. Leonard's-on-Sea in the UK. I am founder of a company called House of Sweet Waters. And my mission in life, like, I guess my, yeah, reason for being and what I care about the most is like helping people find their North Star. I think we live in a world where it's very easy to, there's just so many other demands and so much stuff that happens that can take us out of ourselves or give us voices that um, speak louder than our own. And so my personal journey in life has been a real journey of coming and recoming and still coming again to find my, yeah, my true north, my grounded center. And House of Sweet Waters is built off my experience in entrepreneurship. So I worked at a tech accelerator in London and then moved to working internally in startups. And I also have been studying and practicing African traditional religions, uh, specifically Ifa, Hoodoo, and Haitian Vodun, but the center of all that being ancestral reverence. And it's been a combination of the two that have really helps me to feel confident waking up every day and like, this is what I'm doing and this is what I'm excited about. And this is why I'm doing it. And after my first experience having a divination, so it was a Ifa divination, which is the Yoruba, um, Yoruba traditional religion. Um, and just the whole experience, like being so vividly seen without having to say anything other than my name and my mom's name was really, um, yeah, it was really game changing for me. I didn't realize that that was usually, I felt like you had to work really hard to get people to understand you. And this was just the easiest experience. So I've been working to like be seen, create spaces for people to be seen, um, ever since then. Okay. There's a lot I want to dive into here. So we're going to break things down for myself and for the listeners. Okay. So first of all, you mentioned three different things that you studied. Can you say those again and say a little bit about each of them? Yes. So um, most importantly, the center of my religious or spiritual practice is ancestral reverence. Um, and this is born out of um, a quite broad African understanding of like the world and the universe and that our ancestors, so people who die and move on, they aren't um, then removed from us and they aren't distant, they aren't to be ignored, basically. And that as part of the daily practice of living, there's like an element of honoring the dead, kind of like an extension of like elder, like re revering and supporting your elders. And just like that, um, just because you're old doesn't mean you can be an elder. Just because you're dead doesn't mean that you're necessarily working as an ancestor. Um, but it's important because your ancestors and the ancestral energies that you have access to. So it's not just 
your recent deceased, it's also, you might have an ancestral connection to the water or the trees or to certain lands or certain elements. And um, that's important because those are the things that resource you on a day-to-day and moving through the world. Also because like so much, so many of the obstacles that we face um, sometimes carry the extra weight of being an entire system or being so rooted in generations of existence that it can take a little bit of extra welly to change it or shift it for yourself. Did you say um, extra welly? Extra welly, yeah, like an extra um, kick. Extra like kick. Yes. Okay. So what would you categorize? So that's the overall overarching idea. Yes. And then there are three kind of branches of that. So, that, so that's, that is like, that's the central tenet of my practice and it features in many different African traditional religions. Right. The three that um, my bloodline have led me to are Ifa, which is the Yoruba traditional religion of Nigeria, um, Hoodoo, which is from my father's side of the family. He's from Alabama. So that's the black Southern American tradition born out of um, the enslaved people who made their tradition survive as they survived the Middle Passage. And Haitian Vaudun, which is one that I've come to through community and eldership and just really good, rigorous kind of coaching. And yeah. uh, so the, when I hear hoodoo, I think voodoo. Mm, yeah. That's what most so, people think. Yeah, that's what most people think. And so like the the like voodoo is actually kind of like an like the term, the name is like an anglicism, an anglicized or something like, so it's really hoodoo, but white folks got involved. Um, so there's hoodoo as one, there is Louisiana voodoo, which is a thing of its own. And cause that's born out of like Louisiana specifically, like Mm. it is referred to as voodoo. Mm -hmm. Um, in Benin, it is I think if I'm going to get them right or mixed up, um, but the word voodoo or vodun is actually the term for spirit in most places. So it's Haitian mm. Voodoo mm. and um, Benin voodoo. And so hoodoo is what? So hoodoo is the practice of, um, yeah, it, yeah. Hoodoo is a religious practice that is born out of Black America. Basically. What is one of the things that one who practices hoodoo does? Um, there are, yes. So there are a few different tenets and people can have like different strengths in it. So there are hoodoos who are particularly good root workers. And this means that they're great at using herbs and plants to do things like cure illnesses, but also to like make things happen in the world. There are people who are particularly good at working with spirits and have like that, like varying connections to the unseen realm. There are people, there is a strong, there is out of history, a strong intersection between hoodoo and Christianity. And they're obviously separate, but there are hoodoos who for various reasons use psalms from the bible or different kind of prayers or different kind of churchy activities to um yeah to also like bless or um have visions or uh class people in their communities and um yeah that's a there's a, and there are more there are a few more there are plenty how more did, how does hoodoo show up in your life 
Um, that's really interesting because it arrived. Well, I don't want to say uninvited, but that's mm-hmm. probably really the word. So I'm British and I'm born and raised with my mum in the UK and my mum is Jamaican and I didn't meet my dad until a few years ago. Um, but prior to really ever really knowing much of that family, uh, the ability, like ancestral reverence kind of arrived, um, bits of root work kind of arrived in my life. And I found people in my familial hometown who were hoodoos, who I started speaking to. And yeah, the way opened for me to go to my ancestral hometown and attend a hoodoo conference. And from there, it all just kind of spiraled. I did that. I had actually, hadn't actually like centered meeting family as part of that. It was like the conference arrived first. And I was like, oh, okay, we'll go explore stuff. And then it's just, it's just growing from there. So hoodoo is also things like coating a, coating a sick chest in like, um, duck fat to draw out an illness or putting a little bit of turps in sugar water to flush out worms or, um, tying a queen side up penny to the big toe of a, for that's something you can do for another element and Mm. it's interesting because most families will have that and a lot of hoodoo and how other African traditional religions are experienced across um, the diaspora is often sometimes synonymous or buried in what other people understand to be black culture so for example pouring one out for your homies or serving your first glass to the universal to the spirit or putting one out, you know, like the first drink mm. of bottle, or even some people knock on the bottle to wake it up. Or if it spills, people are like, oh, you know, the room, the spirits wanted some. That's all like cultural stuff that has its roots in pouring libation for spirit, which is something that our ancestors have done for since, since they could. Wow. And when you say that it was sort of you were called to to go and, and learn more about this and then family came in as well, when you discovered it or when you learned more about it, did it feel like something that had been missing your whole life and that it kind of was a puzzle piece that made sense? Or was it a brand new thing that you kind of had to get used to? Um, I'd say it's more of the former. Like I was the kid that was like getting a bowl and like mixing things and making potions. Like I've, I was, I found like old notebooks where I, which I'd forgotten about where I'd like written poems that were spells and like planned yeah. stuff out. And I'd always had an interest in like spiritual stuff. And I was raised in the church actually in this church of England church. So there were elements of that as well, like a specific kind of service that we used to have in winter called Teze, which is like very spiritual. It's lots of chanting. So there were, it was like a P like it was, yeah, there was definitely a lot of feeling like things were falling into place. I was nervous about how visible to be with it as well, because also even over the last five years, there's been a real shift in how people approach and understand different spiritualities um, outside of maybe Abrahamic faiths. So there's been interesting with my mum in particular, it's been really interesting because something that I thought that I was kind of bringing to her, she's like, oh yeah, grandma used to, I, I remember when I was little, she always used to be washing me in baths of herbs and Mm. The things that I was like, when I first um, 
another core tenant is like having altars and you are your first altar, but it's great in any home to have like anchored spaces that speak to a certain energy that you want to cultivate. And again, I see that you can see this play out on a black mantelpiece dedicated to the family, the dresser dedicated to your own beautification and stuff. It's not always extremely overt. Um, and yeah, I realized a lot, a lot of experiencing it and learning things has been like, oh, okay, actually this is something the family and people I know have done for a really long time. Yeah. And I almost feel like I'm catching up. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Now, but- now outside of your family, you did touch on like whether how it was going to be looked at. Do you, am I right in calling this black magic? Is that something that I remember you saying? Um, I don't know if I've mentioned it in conversation with you, but there is an yeah. ex book um, called black magic. Um, and I can't remember the full title. So it's, um, and it has been referred to that, you know, people, Historically, um, and part of my academic research was on anti-slavery resistance. And so, and there was a lot of writing about how um, enslavers needed to be worried about black magic or poisoning mm-hmm. um, because uh, it was a real threat to people at the time. So, um, so that actually, that kind of brings me to my first challenging question to you, which I have okay. about either, because this is why I'm doing this, right? Yeah. My challenging question to you is if such a thing exists, um, especially coming from parts of Africa, slaves were brought over. Why didn't they use some of this ability to talk to their ancestors? They are our ancestors, but talk to their ancestors or poison people, as you say, or make limbs fall off or do the things that you would imagine some of these uh, would be able to do. Yes. Well, that is a great question. And I think one of the things that I found going back into academia is that there is a lot, there are a lot of these stories. The Haitian revolution started in ritual Mm -hmm. um, and other revolutions as well started in ritual and various um, rebel, rebel leaders. And for example, the Maroons, like what they were leaning on their ability to survive in nature, their ability to know someone, something's going to happen before the ability to use the facts of how the sun is going to move to, you know, protect themselves or to navigate a path, but also like the spiritual connection to those energies to protect them is there is, there are many spiritual veins through the rebellions that we know about, but the the mind blowing point for me, and I really hope I'm going to do this story justice, is that um, and so I have like one of the ways that my brain um, functions. It, it holds a lot of interesting things, but sometimes slips up on the details. So I'm going to do my best to get <laughs> right. Um, but there was a ship's doctor called Pierre Labart in I think. I can't remember which century, but I have the PDF that I can share with you. And he's French, but part of his journal has been translated. And he's on board a um, trafficking ship and they're not moving anywhere. Like they've sailed for maybe like a week or eight days or something. And they've moved as if it's been one day. (laughs) And the people that they're enslaving in the hold are complaining that there's a witch on board and that she's killing people and that she's eating people's hearts. And I think the ships, it's the ship's captain 
who's like, you can't, everyone's getting, feeling the higgy hagger. Like we can't have this nonsense on the ship. You know, like you have to get in line basically and stop whatever it is that you're doing because naturally they don't believe that people's hearts are being eaten. Mm. So they bring her up on deck and beat her and they're whipping her and she's having no reaction. And this is some. Uh, this is a slave or a future slave who is making complaints. You're saying is the her. Um, others enslaved people have been making complaints about about this, this woman who is a witch who is an actual physical being. Okay, yes, is actually got a physical it. being, and is an enslaved woman. Like is about to be enslaved. on this, she's also okay. yeah. Yes, and so the captain is beating her, and she is not reacting. And the first mate is like. You must not be beating her hard enough I will step in And she's like No This is Between This is between Me and the captain So you can't get involved Or else And he does And then The next day Or like three days later He's found dead mm-hmm. um, Long story short the, cap- she, the captain is trying to make her prove Like what she's doing So he locks a melon in a case and she says that she's going to eat it, like eat the inside out. Three days later, they come back and the melon still looks full. The captain's like, aha, I knew it. You haven't been eating people's hearts. As he goes to pick the melon out, it's like hollow. It's been mm-hmm. completely open. And the doctor, as he's doing his research um, on the cadavers, is cutting people open and seeing that their hearts have like shriveled up. And... Um, she says the ship is not going to continue to move further until until you agree to let me and my two or three associates off. And so they do. They take the detour and then they complete the rest of the journey as normal. Hmm. Um, and I, these are the kinds of stories that should be like, if not mythology or folklore, but like pop yeah. culture. Yeah. So when yeah. I came across this, I was like, you mean that people especially school is like wants to tell stories about slavery and not share things like that. Yeah. And I mean, if anyone's listening and and finds it to be far-fetched to me, it's not any more far-fetched than anything in the Bible. Mm. Right. So it's either you believe it or you don't, or we can't prove it or we can't. Right. So it's, it's Mm. like you say, it's folklore that could be real. That could not be real. Could be Mm. something that was passed down as a story uh, but for it not to be taken seriously when someone takes the existence of, uh, you know, a J- Jesus coming back to life seriously is, is just a bit odd, right? Mm-hmm. Some people will write it off and they'll say, oh, well, no, that's a Jordan Peele movie. By the way, it would be an amazing Jordan Peele movie. Oh, my gosh, it would. It was. Yes. So then how, as we start to wrap up, because I know I could talk to you forever, but I know we have limited time. How does, how do you move around in life with the different beliefs that you have? I mean, what is your, like, I think you said that your overarching is to, is to have a reverence to your ancestors and to, to our ancestors. What does that mean? Are you in servitude to them for your life? Or how do you, how do you show that, that reverence? That's a great question. It shows up in a variety of different ways. And some of it is practical and external. And some of it is um, not. 
My day-to-day involves, for example, putting fresh water on an altar, making sure that it's clean and tidy and active, and that if I've served up a spirit plate, it's it's up there for the right amount of time and then it can move on. It also has mostly involved a lot of like unpacking my own issues and getting out of my own way because in concert with my ancestors, I can see like stories or threads or things that have served me to a certain point, but don't anymore. And so there are legacies um, in my family, both good and bad, that ancestral reverence helps me to either let go of, like the day-to-day living in my world invites me to let go of or to do more of, depending on whether they are good or bad. It's also because I'm in the entrepreneurship space. So day-to-day in my work, working with creatives, it inspires, it leads me to interact with people and creatives in a way that is, I don't want to say anti-capitalist, but like celebrates creativity and themselves and the fact that they've spent a lifetime dedicated to a craft that therefore it should be joyful and sustainable if that's what they're choosing to do in their life. And it also encourages me when I'm doing, for example, like time planning and personal organization to work with human rhythms and nature, natural rhythms and their own rhythms and the community focus on like the communities and nature that are important to them that some business planning can leave out and to like help people to find blends and things that work for them, which is a lot of giving people permission. They might be like, I always felt like I wanted to do it this way, but mm-hmm. so-and-so said it wouldn't make any money or that I wouldn't be good enough. So I never did. And it's like, well, you know what, let's, let's try that today. And here's how you can integrate that. And here's a way we can, you can move forward with anything, even like your biggest, wildest, most outrageous dreams by taking, you know, like one step forward today. And if it's not a step forward, it's facing forward. And if it's not just not facing forward, at least we're not moving backwards. It's those kinds of ethoses. Wonderful. That's amazing. Um, it's very eye-opening. There, it also leads to many more questions. So I, I hope to have a series where it's like a follow-up with people that I've talked to mm-hmm. in this particular uh, series. Um, how do people uh, learn more about you? Do you want to send people to, to you or do you want to be a bit more anonymous? No, no, people can find me. I'm always um, currently, and as there is capacity, there's a book a chat with me link on my website. And I thoroughly encourage people to, because I feel like talking to people is great. So um, yeah. yeah. What's that website? My website is www.houseofsweetwaters.co.uk. And you can also find me on TikTok at, at House of Sweetwaters. And those Amazing. are the two best ways to Amazing. find me. Thank you so much. I really have enjoyed learning about this. This is something, and, and I this is something I did not know I get to learn about. So I appreciate mm-hmm. it so much. Thank you for having me. And I should also say that like I am a very much a beginner in these traditions. Like I'm 32. You don't reach like being an elder, being really well versed in things until like often much later. So um, for anyone who is interested, there are plenty of, you can come via me, but there are also elders and initiates in these traditions who can speak to other elements and stuff. If something's spoken to you that I haven't really touched on or covered. Excellent. Very, very good. Your ancestors would be proud.
Don't you make me cry? <laughs> uh, that's true. It's good you're 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 giving the the humble transparency that I think is important. All right, I'll talk to you very soon. Thank you. Demystifying Faith is executive produced by Arlen Hamilton and co-produced by Anna Eichenauer and Heard Podcasts. Original theme music by Anna Eichenauer. Learn more at demystifyingfaith.com.